First Peter Bible Study, Part 9, What Christians Are, Part 3. For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, okay, this is the third time in a row that we've started covering this passage. Again and again and again. And I've tipped my hand that, yes, this is probably one of my favorite passages in all of Holy Scripture. Next week, we will get into why as we tie it all together. St. Peter's fantastic thesis statement, what opens up our understanding about the entire epistle, and a central truth of the Christian faith, that God does something to you. He makes you something more than what you were, and that changes how we look at our own lives, what we do, how we look at ourselves versus non-believers, etc., and so forth. But let's get into verses 9 and 10 and comment on them before we record on how to understand and apply everything, tying it all together. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here, St. Peter elevates believers again, over and above non-believers, saying that we're more than just living stones in a spiritual house, but you're also a race, a priesthood, and a nation. Now, we've heard before that the word nation in the New Testament, ethnos, is related to the concept of an ethnicity. But he uses two different words for race and nation here. When he says a chosen race, he uses elekton genos, chosen race or family, offspring. Genos, 
means a family, an offspring, a people group coming from one ancestor. So when you do your genealogy, you are tracing your roots back down through your ancestors as a people group. Which means that here in 1 Peter 2.9, that new birth that takes place in our lives, baptism, means we are part of this second genealogy, this offspring now of a different ancestor. So a convert to Christianity is born anew into an elect family, and that endures unto Judgment Day. They now belong to the race of people belonging to God. Now this refers to so many times in the Old Testament, especially Deuteronomy, in which God emphasizes his election of Israel. Deuteronomy 10.15, Moses writes, The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Basically declaring to the Israelites that they are a chosen race. St. Peter here says that that belongs to you, dear Christian. And then when he calls us a royal priesthood, that is a reference to Exodus 19, verse 6, in which God says that Israel is a kingdom of priests. Now, in contrast to non-believers, only the Christian can belong to this universal priesthood in the church. Only a Christian's prayers and intercessions work. Only your prayers as the body of Christ are efficacious before God. He's not going to listen to the prayers of the Muslims or the prayers of the Jews. He's going to listen to your prayer as efficacious. Only Christian sacraments and rites are effective before our Lord. He doesn't listen to the pleas of non-believers. So the priesthood of Christians demonstrates an exclusive relationship with God as part of the new chosen Israel. And then he calls us a holy nation, and this time he uses the word ethnos, which is the second term for race or nation. Genos speaks of common birth. Ethnos speaks of a common way of being. Now, this is not to suggest that the church is a country, but rather a distinct people group marked by shared blood, mannerisms, culture, and polity. Christians together share the same blood, namely the blood of Christ administered in the Eucharist. We share the same mannerisms and culture, agape culture, mutually honoring one another, as St. Paul tells us to do, and the same polity as well. Christ is our king. And this again is a reference to Exodus 19 verse 6 where God calls Israel a holy nation. So before God, the Christian is counted as belonging to the new Israel, the church. It's a real kingdom, a real priesthood, and a real race to which we are elevated when we are brought to the faith. Why? so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called. We evangelize by going to our friends and 
even to random strangers and saying, look at what God has done for me. Look at what he promises for us on account of Christ. Now again, defined in opposition to the non-believer, we are reminded that we were once in darkness with the other heathen, but now we are in God's light. Good things. We can see where we're going. We have higher status before God, coram Deo, by faith. Now, on the topic of race, one's earthly race, like their sex, persists. It doesn't just go away once you become a Christian, or else St. Peter would not be speaking about the deferring responsibilities between husbands and wives in 1 Peter chapter 3. Yet those distinctions and the responsibilities that come with them, you know, caring for your wife, advocating for your family and your kin, those by themselves do not confer status coram Deo. Belonging to an additional race, a heavenly one, is what counts before God as holiness and righteousness. And again, that is only affected by having faith in Christ. So consider this example, and I understand it's going to sound a little goofy. Let's take two Irishmen. Their lives are basically identical, except one is a devout Christian, the other one is an atheist. Both of them are married. Both of them care about their wives and their kids. They fulfill the proper duties of men here on earth. Both of them care about the Irish. They seek the benefit of their people. They go to meetings to help out the status of Irish people and to look out for their own here on earth. Okay, Coram Mundo facing the world. According to the commands of God, each one of them is doing the right thing. But only one of them, the Christian Irishman, has any standing before our Lord. Strictly speaking, that man belongs to two races, the latter of which is a spiritual one which belongs to God, belonging to his Israel. Both guys might live identical lives nearly, <laughs> but our Lord will only have regard to the one who belongs to him by faith in Christ. Now, briefly, let's touch on verse 10, which says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once more, St. Peter stresses that Coram Deo, facing God, there is no people nor status for somebody who is not a Christian. You could be white, black, Asian, whatever, but that is Coram Mundo, facing the world where those things are of consequence. But when you are a believer, you do belong to a people that he has established, the new Israel. So for the world, yes, there are many groups and races, each with their own interests. As far as salvation is concerned, there's only two, the church and the heathen. Those who go from heathenry to Christianity receive God's mercy for those who belong to him. You have your sins forgiven. You have eternal life promised to you. You have good coming to you on account of that belonging to God's people. Again, not saying that 
race is obliterated. I'm not saying that God is colorblind or that you should be. After all, he created the races. Race is a good thing. But when it comes to salvation, you're only going to belong to one of two groups. You know, Luther says you're only going to be riding one donkey at the end of the day. You're going to be riding the devil's donkey or you're going to be riding God's donkey. And you're going to be going to damnation or salvation where a lot of the material aspect of what race you belong to, whether you are male or female, that doesn't matter in terms of whether or not you're going to heaven. What matters is you belong to God. Now, in this world, those distinctions do matter, and it matters to God how you conduct yourself regarding those things. But for salvation, it is an open thing to all. Everybody is invited to become a part of the true Israel, to become a part of the kingdom of heaven. Now, to put a finer point on that, this verse and the preceding verse show us that this epistle is a Catholic one. It applies to every Christian reading it, not just to the Hebrews like John Calvin and some of the dispensationalists say. Old Testament saints weren't in darkness. He says in verse 9 that we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That couldn't be true if he was writing to Hebrews. Was Abraham in darkness when he was a believer? Heavens no. Was Moses in darkness while being a believer? No. They didn't receive full revelation, but they still responded to the word of God given to them and looked forward to the Messiah. Old Testament saints, not in darkness. And verse 10 says, you were not a people. But the Old Testament saints belonged to God's people, and they received revelation directly that said, You are my people and my inheritance on earth. We can't say that this verse applies to those who received the oracles of God, especially because in the first century, the gospel rang out first to Hebrews, many of whom converted. And many of them understood, yes, I belonged to God as a Hebrew, as somebody going to temple and observing the law, but then Christ came, and now I understand I am freed from the yoke of the law. I rejoice. For them, there wasn't a break in belonging to God, but there was certainly a change that demonstrated a new kind of freedom. How do we know this, that there wasn't a break from any of these people? Well, there's the apostles. All of the apostles were Jews, and they all converted to Christianity with the exception of, well, Judas, who hung himself. So for St. Peter to say, you were once not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but you have received mercy, this applies first and foremost to us Gentiles, the non-Hebrew nations, who at one point were just in darkness. Whoever we were, the pagan religions give us nothing whatsoever. The Old Testament gave Old Testament believers something of God's mercy, but you're not going to find mercy with Odin or with uh, Papa Legba if 
you were a former Santeria practitioner or something, voodoo people. There's no people and no mercy with atheism or Confucianism or Buddhism or Jainism or Hinduism or any other religion whatsoever. So for us, we rejoice to belong to the new Israel, to belong to God's chosen people without having to sacrifice the accident of our birth, without having to forsake, say, our worldly heritage. If somebody is proud of being English, if they have the old tapestries and everything of their heritage, that's perfectly fine and even good because those material worldly distinctions persist and they still matter. But we rejoice to have that additional thing brought to us, that we are also part of God's Israel. We are also part of this new kingdom which we weren't born into, not until we were born again in holy baptism. Next week, we're going to take all of these verses that we've been going through over and over again. We're going to tie them together. We're going to summarize it, and we're going to show why this is so important to how the Christian sees himself and to how we understand our life in Christ. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen.